Time magazine called him the unsung hero behind the internet. CNN called him a father of the internet. President Bill Clinton called him one of the great minds of the information age. He has been voted history's greatest scientist of African descent. He is Philip Emigwali. He's coming to Trinidad and Tobago to launch the 2008 Kwame Ture Lecture Series on Sunday, June 8th at the JFK Auditorium, Newey St. Augustine, 5 p.m. The Emancipation Support Committee invites you to come and hear this inspirational mind address the theme, Crossing New Frontiers to Conquer Today's Challenges. This lecture is one you cannot afford to miss. Admission is free, so be there on Sunday, June 8th, 5 p.m. at the JFK Auditorium, Newey St. Augustine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Philip Emaragwale. In supercomputing, the most coveted achievement by none is to discover how to record previously unrecorded speeds in computations. In the 1970s and 80s, Parallel processing or doing many things at once instead of one thing at a time was dismissed as a beautiful theory that lacked experimental confirmation. Parallel processing enables us to obtain a, deep, a deeper and surer understanding of our universe and in particular enables us to foresee otherwise unforeseeable climate, climatic changes that enshroud the earth. Faster supercomputers enable us to climb higher up the ladder of knowledge and to make the impossible to compute possible to compute. Back in 1989, it made the news headlines that an African supercomputer wizard in the United States had theoretically discovered how to solve a world record system of 24 million equations of algebra and experimentally discovered how to solve them across an internet that he visualized as his global network of 65,000 536 processors. I, Philip Emaragwale, was that African supercomputer scientist that was in the news back in 1989. The modern supercomputer that computes in parallel or by solving a million mathematical problems at once arose from our need to make the impossible to compute, possible to compute. I experimentally discovered parallel processing, the technology that makes computers faster and makes supercomputers fastest. I experimentally discovered how to solve those computation-intensive problems 
and how to solve them across a small internet that is a global network of 64 binary thousand processors or as many tiny computers. Back in 1974, I visualized supercomputing across a global network of computers that is now called the Philip Emagwale Internet. Back in the mid-1970s, I needed a name for the Philip Emagwale Internet. That new internet evolved into a global network of 64 binary thousand processors. That new internet was a global network of tiny computers. The reason I named that new internet a hyperball supercomputer was because it was a computer de facto. And I visualized that new hyperball supercomputer as a huge ball that has the diameter of a soccer field and has identical processors and has regular and short fiber optic email communication wires that are equidistantly distributed on the surface of that huge ball. I visualized that cosmic supercomputer in its own technology pack. I visualized that cosmic supercomputer as making parallel processing a vision of hope. I visualized that cosmic supercomputer as the world's fastest, biggest, and most expensive computer. I visualized that cosmic supercomputer as being jointly owned by all nations or owned by the United Nations and owned in the manner that the large collider of CERN, the European Organization for Nuclear Research, is owned by European nations. I visualized that cosmic supercomputer as staying online for a century. In the decades of the 1970s and 80s, I was the supercomputer programmer that was the lone wolf in the wilderness that was the uncharted territory where it was said that parallel processing across a cosmic supercomputer will forever remain a beautiful theory that will forever lack experimental confirmation. And I visualized that cosmic supercomputer as the precursor to the planetary-sized cosmic brain that I envisioned as emerging from the internet of the future and emerging to enshroud the earth with digital intelligence. Every invention is to some extent partial or false. The invention is false because the inventor 
don't fully understand what he invented. And the invention is partial or incomplete because it was and will always remain an invention in progress or sometimes an invention without a name. The users of an invention, such as the internet, brings their experiences and in that sense, the users help the invention evolve in unforeseen directions. As an inventor, I failed a thousand times, but I failed better with each failure. An ensemble of processors or computers that compute together to solve one computation-intensive problem can have different names. The ensemble was called a supercomputer when I experimentally discovered how to program the 65,536 processors within my new internet and parallel program those processors to compute together as one cohesive, seamless supercomputer that was the precursor to the modern supercomputer and how to parallel program those processors to compute at the fastest speeds and used to send and receive emails synchronously. But the ensemble is called an internet when it is used to perform fewer computations and to send and receive emails asynchronously. Whether you call the ensemble a new computer or a new internet, the core story remains constant. It was the story of an ordinary computer that only computed in the mid-20th century that grew and evolved to an extraordinary earth-sized global network of computers and fiber optic wires and that is a large copy of the large of the global network or 64 binary thousand processors that I invented and used to experimentally discover parallel processing. To invent a computer is the act of seeing for the first time a computer that is faster than any supercomputer that had been seen before. To invent a new internet is the act of seeing for the first time a new global network of processors or a new global network of computers that had never been seen before. The inventor is a visionary. 
the inventor becomes a futurist when he imagines and invents products that we can use in 10 decades. The inventors that push the frontiers of information technology are tomorrow's thought leaders. The grand challenge of the 21st century lies at the crossroads of globalization and information technology. The inventor must provide humanity his or her vision of where we should be going. I invented that new hyperball internet out of the triangles of its companion graph. The graph is to the supercomputer programmer what the highway roadmap is to the driver. I had to extract the general truths, such as the bidirectional lines, to and from each vertex, and use those lines to visualize how to send and receive emails to and from my global network of processors. That graph approximated is fair. I began with a kernel graph that had a one-to-one -one correspondence with the vertices and the edges of the geometrical object called icosahedron. The icosahedron has 20 small triangular faces. I expanded my hyperball internet by splitting each of the 20 triangular faces of the icosahedron and splitting them into four smaller triangles. I invented different hyperball internets and did so by splitting each of the 20 triangular faces of the icosahedron and splitting them into nine smaller triangles or 16 smaller triangles or 36 smaller triangles. The lyrics of a song are meant to be sung, not read. If the lyric is meant for the microphone, not the page, then the larger scale system of equations of algebra are meant for the motherboard, not the blackboard. Parallel programming across an ensemble of processors demands message passing or sending and receiving emails from processor to processor. The message passing instructions are to the parallel programmer what the play is to the Shakespearean actor. Like the play, my communication primitives are meant to be acted upon, not read. The most computation-intensive scientific problems are called the grand challenges of supercomputing. Making the impossible to compute, possible to compute, is the central question in supercomputing. Making the impossible possible 
demanded the biggest ideas in supercomputing. It demanded a paradigm shift of tectonic proportion. In my supercomputing vision, that paradigm shift was to experimentally discover how to execute the fastest computations and how to execute them in parallel or how to execute them across millions upon millions of processors that define and outline a new internet. It took 43 years onward of the programmable sequential processing supercomputer of 1946 to experimentally discover how to parallel process and how to actually do so via emails sent across a new internet that is a global network of 65,536 processors. It took 43 years to experimentally discover how to parallel process and how to compress 65,536 days of time to solution to just one day of time to solution. The fastest supercomputer which computes with millions upon millions of processors is one of the most powerful and most expensive machine in scientific research. The fastest supercomputer is a siren that calls for the world's toughest problems. The fastest supercomputer is used to understand how to kill all known diseases. The fastest supercomputer is used to foresee otherwise unforeseeable global warming. The fastest supercomputer is used to recover otherwise unrecoverable oil and gas. The fastest supercomputer yields new challenges and as yet unanswered questions. During the 16 years onward of June 1974, I constructively reduced to practice my blueprint for a supercomputer that I named the Cosmic Supercomputer. The Cosmic Supercomputer yielded new challenges and raised questions about how to cool it. A cosmic supercomputer that cost $10 billion would have an electric bill of $1 billion a year. The electricity bill for cooling the cosmic supercomputer is as high as the budget of a small nation. The cosmic supercomputer could operate in a thousand exascale level. The cosmic supercomputer 
could be capable of a million quintillion calculations per second. A million quintillion is one with 24 zeros. Based on today's technology, all the nuclear power plants in the world cannot cool the cosmic supercomputer. To cool this theorized world's largest and fastest supercomputing machinery, I visualized the cosmic supercomputer as operating in places with the lowest recorded temperatures such as the South and North Poles. I visualized the cosmic supercomputer as located on the North Pole, that is the northernmost point on Earth. I visualized the cosmic supercomputer at North Ice, Greenland, a place that can be as cold as minus 86.8 degrees Fahrenheit or minus 66 degrees centigrade. North Ice of Greenland is the fifth coldest place in the world. One computer chip within the cosmic supercomputer can dissipate the heat of 10 hot plates. If one computer chip dissipates the heat of 10 hot plates, a cosmic supercomputer that is powered by 100 million chips will dissipate the heat of 1 billion hot plates. Therefore, the extremely cold climate that is too cold for humans may be the right temperature for the cosmic supercomputer on the North Pole. Each computer chip within the cosmic supercomputer must be cooled to below 85 degrees centigrade. It will be less expensive to cool 100 million computer chips at the North Pole than in Florida, United States. I imagined the cosmic supercomputer in Vostok, Antarctica, Russia. Vostok is called the coldest place in the world. Vostok recorded a temperature that was minus 128 degrees Fahrenheit. I imagined a cosmic supercomputer that must be cooled with constant circulation of water that is at 150 degrees Fahrenheit. The temperatures of that water could only fluctuate by plus or minus 10 degrees Fahrenheit. I imagined the waste heat from the cosmic supercomputer as being repurposed for second usage or used to warm supercomputer facilities at the North Pole or sold to warm homes in Greenland. I visualized the Earth's atmosphere as tessellated into 65,536 equal-sized atmospheric regions that had a one-to-one nearest neighbor correspondences with 65,536 
general circulation models. I visualized each climate model as covering a cross-sectional area of about 3,000 square miles. In my massively parallel processing experiments of the 1980s, I visualized a one-to-one -one nearest neighbor correspondences between my two-to-power 16 processors and my 65,536 climate models. I visualized 64 binary thousand processors on the two-dimensional surface of my cosmic ball. I visualized 65,536 processors on the 15-dimensional surface of my hyperball. I visualized those two to power 16 processors as congruent to and as having a one-to-one -one correspondence with my ensemble of two to power 16 equally computation intensive climate models. That hyperball that I envisioned as a theorized planetary supercomputer and as a cosmic supercomputer on the North Pole generated interest not as a supercomputer per se but as a new internet in hyperspace de facto. My cosmic supercomputer on the North Pole was my idealized small copy of the internet. The reason my cosmic supercomputer on the North Pole generated media interest was because it was a new internet that is a global network of processors and it was the only internet that was entirely invented by only one inventor. I experimentally discovered that the motions of fluids that enshroud a planet could be simulated by a factor of 65,536 times faster and computed across that new internet that is a global network of 65,536 processors. That new internet encircled a globe in the 16th dimension. That is, I programmed an ensemble of 65,536 processors and I programmed them collectively as one new internet. I visualized those processors as distributed equal distances afar and apart. I visualized those processors as evenly distributed across the surface of a globe that I visualized as embedded in a 16-dimensional hyperspace. I had concrete images 
of the wirings of the processors that outline and define my cosmic supercomputer on the North Pole. My concrete visualization of my cosmic supercomputer made it easier for me to experimentally program my global network of 64 binary thousand processors. I visualized my email messages as rushing through a data circulatory system that comprised of 16 times 2 to the power 16 or 1 binary million or 1,048,576 short and regular bidirectional lines on the surface of a globe in a 16-dimensional hyperspace. I visualized 65,536 synchronized emails as nourishing my as many climate models and feeding each climate model with the answers that it needed for the next time level of the kernel of the initial boundary value problem of calculus that is at the mathematical core of the complete general circulation model. Each of my 65,536 initial boundary value problems was each at the mathematical core of a unique climate model that computed inside one of my 2 to power 16 processors that I visualized as encircling a globe in the 16th dimension. I visualized each of those 65,536 processors as having its unique 16-bit binary reflected identification number that is each a unique string of 16 zeros and ones. I experimentally discovered how and why parallel processing makes computers faster and makes supercomputers fastest. And I discovered parallel processing by focusing on how my email messages were carried in each and every one of my 16 directions in 16-dimensional hyperspace. I never visualized myself as sequentially programming one supercomputer. Instead, I visualized myself as parallel programming one internet and parallel programming that new internet to emulate one seamless cohesive unit that is one parallel processing supercomputer that was the precursor to the modern supercomputer that computes in parallel. In the 1970s, my theory about parallel processing was visceral rather than cerebral. By the 1980s, it was vice versa. In 1989, I became known as the Nigerian computer wizard that Americans took and who never returned home to Africa. For me, home was the countryside of Maryland. 
My best scientific ideas come during my late afternoon walks in the parks of Maryland. I walked with my wife, Dale, in Cockeysville, outside Baltimore, Maryland. Our favorite parks were Oregon Ridge, Cromwell Valley. Oregon Ridge was outside Baltimore, Maryland. And Trolliver Trail was outside Ellicott City, Maryland. The Oregon Ridge Park is a very expansive 1,043-acre park. The Oregon Ridge Park. The Oregon Ridge Park has a four-mile trail that winds through a forest setting in Cockeysville. Maryland. I jotted my best scientific and research ideas inside a pocket notebook that I carried with me during my daily walks in the parks. Cromwell Valley Park is a beautiful urban oasis outside Towson, Maryland. The lovely trolley trail in Oella, Maryland is noted as a small historic mill town on the Patasco River. The trolley trail is at the outskirts of Ellicott City, Maryland. In the early 1980s, and as a black African and up-and-coming supercomputer scientist, I was not allowed to program the Cyber 205 vector processing supercomputer that was at Camp Springs, Maryland. Nor was I allowed to parallel program the massively parallel processor that was fabricated by Goodyear Aerospace Corporation and fabricated for NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, Greenbelt, Maryland. Only one in 25,000 supercomputer scientists knew what to do with that massively parallel supercomputer. My experimental discovery of massively parallel processing was described in the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal because I was the one in 25,000 and the lone wolf at the uncharted territory of massively parallel supercomputers. I was the former trespasser that became the wizard. In 1982, the Goodyear massively parallel processor was located five miles from my study place in College Park, Maryland and located 30 miles from my residence at 1915 East West Highway, Silver Spring, Maryland. That was a short walk from the headquarters of the United States National Weather Service that I frequented each workday. After the rejections of my parallel processing research of 1982 at the Graymax building at 8060 13th Street, Silver Spring, Maryland, 
of the United States National Weather Service in Silver Spring, Maryland. I turned my attention and my quest for the fastest parallel processing computation and turned it from the Cyber 205 vector processing supercomputer to parallel processing across a new internet that is a global network of 65,536 processors. In 1989, it made the news headlines that I, Philip M. Magwale, physically reduced to practice a new internet that is a global network of 65,536 processors that are equal distances afar and apart and on the 15-dimensional surface of a globe in the 16th dimension. In the United States, my date of conception of summer 1974 is the date recognized as the date of the invention of my new internet. At age 35, I was experimentally programming a new internet that computed 64 binary thousand things at once. I visualized myself as 2 to the power 16 or 64 binary thousand virtual computer programmers that were equal distances afar and apart. I visualized those computer programmers on the 15-dimensional surface of a globe of a 16-dimensional universe. Those 64 binary thousand points on that globe in the 16th dimension we are where I visualize the farthest frontier of the modern supercomputer to be at. My new internet that is a global network of 64 binary thousand processors tightly circumscribed a globe in the 16th dimension and intersected with my spirit that Philip Emagwale internet was more than a supercomputer. That Philip Emagwale internet transcended the fastest computer. That new internet was an icon of technology. That new internet connected a man to his machine. That new internet was a connection and an icon, both figuratively, scientifically, and spiritually. To some, that Philip M. Aguale internet performed the fastest computation and is therefore a supercomputer and vice versa. The reason that new internet was called Philip M. Aguale computer was because I experimentally discovered how to harness that new internet and how to do so by programming 65,536 processors without, within that new internet and parallel programming those processors 
to communicate via emails and compute together as one seamless cohesive supercomputer that is the precursor to the modern supercomputer that can cost the budget of a small nation. My experimental discovery of massively parallel processing made the news headlines in 1989 because it changed the way we think about the fastest computers. My experimental discovery changed the way we think about the high-performance supercomputer. My experimental discovery changed computing paradigm and changed it after I discovered the fastest computations and discovered them in a 16-dimensional hyperspace that was at the farthest that was the farthest frontier of the modern supercomputer. That discovery was how a lone wolf, Philip M. Aguale, that was born on August 23, 1954, that was born of Igbo parentage, that was born in Akure in the heart of Yoruba land, that was born in the heart of sub-Saharan colonial Africa, crossed the farthest frontier of supercomputing and crossed it alone and crossed it to solve the toughest problem in calculus and crossed it to invent the modern supercomputer that is fastest because it computes many things at once instead of computing only one thing at a time. I, Philip Emma Aguale, began my journey to the frontier of supercomputer knowledge along a dusty, narrow road named Okemeso Street in Akure in the western region of the British West African colony of Nigeria. I was named after Prince Philip of England, who was a great celebrity in 1954 and who was the Duke of Edinburgh. Prince Philip was on the cover of the issue of Life magazine that was dated August 23, 1954. That was the day I was born. 35 years later, I spoke calculus with greater fluency than I spoke my ancestral Igbo language. And I spoke physics with greater fluency than I spoke the English language. 35 years later, I entered inside the terra incognita or the uncharted territory of knowledge where I saw this unseen and where I saw the fastest hyperbole supercomputer that was like a black box in a dark room and where I saw that fastest hyperbole supercomputer and where I saw it with a dim lamp. I saw the previously unseen hyperbole supercomputer by imagining myself as a 16-dimensional being 
in a 16-dimensional hyperspace. I held in my hands a hypercube that was tightly that was tightly encircled by a hypersphere that I called a hyperball. I visualized a tiny computer as my mathematical metaphor for each of my processors. I visualized 64 binary thousand tiny computers with a one-to-one -one correspondence and added 2 to power 16 or 65,536 vertices that are equal distances afar and apart and are on the 15-dimensional hypersurface of my hyperglobe that I called a hyperball. I visualized my 64 binary thousand emails to and from as many tiny computers as traveling along the bidirectional edges of the cube in the 16th dimension. I visualized strands of 16 times two raised to power 16 email fiber optic wires that carried those emails to and from two raised to power 16 tiny computers. Back in the 1970s and 80s, it was considered impossible to harness the power of thousands of processors. In November 29, in the November 29, 1989 issue of the New York Times, Neil Davenport, the president of Cray Computer Corporation, the sister company to the company that manufactured seven in ten supercomputers, warned that, quote, we can't find any real progress in harnessing the power of thousands of processors. Unquote. And my grand challenge in the 1970s and 80s was to prove that the impossible to compute is in fact possible to compute. To invent is to create the future. The invention makes us both the creator and the created. Here, here are my predictions about the new technological frontiers that our descendants will cross to conquer their grand challenges. I predict that parallel processing computers and internets that can do a billion billion things at once will become the economic and the technological engine that will usher their new era of prosperity and make the world of our descendants a more global village. I predict that in 1,000 years, our half-human descendants will use their planetary-scaled parallel processing internet to reduce our science fiction to their non-fiction. I foresee a billion cyborgs colonizing the moon. I foresee 
Each cyborg has half human and half super intelligent parallel processing computer. I foresee the moon as encircled by an internet with cyborgs at its nodes that computed together in parallel. I foresee our descendants discovering how to harness their internet and harnessing their internet as their planetary super brain and inventing their internet as their global network of half-human cyborgs. In one million years, our post-human descendants will not look like us. Our super-intelligent post-human descendants will cross a frontier of knowledge that is science fiction to us. I foresee a planetary-sized brain that is anthropomorphized or thinks like a super-intelligent being. I foresee a neural superbrain for our posthuman descendants of year million. I foresee trillions upon trillions of superbrains of year million colonizing our Milky Way galaxy. I foresee intergalactic space travelers in year million. I'm Philip M. Aguale. Let's keep our conversation alive at emmaagwale.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Insightful and brilliant lecture.